When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to the Silver Fortune podcast. So today we're going to be talking about the Fed. We're going to be talking about some of the markets and we're going to be talking about silver and and the narrative um, regarding things like uh, inflation, uh, the taper and and whatnot in their relation to uh, into silver. Uh, Now, I want to start off, though, with the Fed. You know, in the past few decades, um, society, especially here in the United States, we've seen a significant shift in, I guess, what they call Overton, the Overton window. Uh, essentially a window of, of acceptable opinions or popular opinions and policies. Now, I think a lot of times people get caught up in a lot of these political shifts that we've seen over time, whether it's on immigration or on um, same-sex marriage or abortion or whatever controversial you know topic. You wanna, there's been a shift in that, right? The one that a lot of people miss because it's just something they don't pay attention to as much and maybe lack the the, the knowledge of the history of it is monetary policy. We've seen it. We've seen it certainly with fiscal policy, even on the Republican side. But monetary policy is the one that a lot of people miss. There's been a significant shift in the past few decades in a dovish direction. Of course, dovish being the easier monetary policy, more likely to be accommodative with lower interest rates, quantitative easing, etc., versus the hawkish side of, of monetary policy, which would, you know, generally advocate for the opposite of that. Uh, now, of course, the concern for myself and so many others is that a more dovish monetary policy leads to uh, inflation. I mean, that's the destruction of currency, among other problems. There's there's problems like financial, you know, repression because of, of low interest rates and, and such a massive amount of, of capital, um, you know, that that has, has really been transformed and, and moved around because of quantitative easing. There's a lot of, of problems, obviously, with, with um, a growing wealth gap because of low interest rates in QE and, and who benefits from that versus who does not. Those are all major concerns to have. And of course, inflation, I think, should be at the forefront of a lot of our of our minds right now in, in relation to this. And, and it's changing every day. Okay, so because what I want to start off with talking about here is is the Fed, obviously, and, and the last few months that they've had. In, in their leadership. Um, specifically, uh, two Fed members recently resigning because uh, of, of revelations that they had been acting and trading in the market in, well, it doesn't matter how or what they were doing. They were, right? It wasn't in some sort of blind trust, which is something I'd much rather prefer Fed members and, hey, members of Congress do when they when they go into office. Um, rather than being able to to uh, you know trade the markets and, and profit off of their position and, and know what's going to happen ahead of time, that's what they were doing. In fact, in one case, you know, uh, one member had been selling a significant amount of I think it was equities in the stock market um, before uh, before you know the, the slowdown or the, the crash in 2020 um, because of the, the pandemic and all that. Uh, 
Okay, so so huge problem there, and, and of course they both resigned. Um, that, that was, of course, uh, Rosengren and uh, Kaplan. Now, that's key to understand exactly who it was that resigned, uh, because they just so happened to be, you know, in today's Overton window, on the hawkish side of of Fed policy. Um, both both Rosengren and Kaplan both fall on on that hawkish, you know, far more hawkish than, let's say, you know, Neil Kashkari. Now, it's important to understand that, you know, maybe several decades ago, they would be considered doves, right? But today they're considered hawkish, relatively speaking. Um, and of course, they're going to be replaced. If we continue to see this shift towards things like modern monetary policy and easier monetary policy in, in popular terms and among economists, uh, economists and, and, and members of Congress, then I think that will continue to be the trend that, that these two will be you know, probably replaced by People that are more dovish on the spectrum. Now, of course, earlier this week, we once again got news that, that Jerome Powell was making, has been making moves in the market, selling and buying assets. Now, some people will look at this and say, well, it's just a, a rebalancing of funds. And, and maybe, maybe there's some truth to it. The fact of the matter is that it's not in some sort of a blind trust. And we can't know that for sure. And the idea that somebody as powerful as the Fed chair that has such a massive impact on the market, not just with, with his decisions, which are not um, decisions simply of his own, but of a committee, the FOMC. Uh, but, but his words can move the markets so significantly is, is, is something that people rightfully should be um, up in arms about. Now, now, in the case of Rosengren and Kaplan, they're not current members, voting members on the FOMC. Um, so there's not going to be an immediate shift, but in 2022, uh, Rosen was, was due to become a voting member and Kaplan in 2023. Uh, it's kind of a rotating basis with some members that are consistently voting every single meeting. Well, their time would be up next year and the following year. Um, and, and so again, you know, we, we can, you know, whether we're talking dot plots or just expectations in terms of tapering and QE and interest rates, you can move those in the dovish direction, I think, assuming that they are replaced by what people would consider dovish in, in today's terms. Now, the question is, is what's going to happen with Jerome Powell? Jerome Powell was, of course, a Trump appointee, um, somebody that, uh, you know, is is relatively dovish in Fed terms, maybe not as much as Yellen, maybe not as much as Bernanke, but certainly um, um, more dovish than a lot of other Fed members and, and, and Fed chairs in the past. And And you got to ask, you know, who is who is going to uh, who's going to replace him? Assuming it's a sitting member of the Fed, and if it's not, you know, what where is that going to fall? Especially uh, with with a you know Democratic president, which you know currently the, the sitting president, especially if he's a Democrat, ten or he or she tends to be more in the dovish direction. Currently, um, Democrats tend to be more accepting of modern monetary theory. Um, although you put a Republican in office and, and they're certainly not going to argue against a dovish, um, uh, fed, uh, you know, Donald Trump is, is a good example of that. Um, so what happens if Powell's, I mean, this whole shift in the fed, fed policy is like a huge ship. It's like a, it's like the Titanic. It takes a long time to, um, to turn. Uh, and as we see this shift, you know, what is, a uh, what does that mean for Fed policy and what does that mean for markets? So the, I know this sounds like a lot of, you know, it's like five, six, seven, eight minutes of just talking about the Fed and their members, but this is a big deal, right? I mean, people obsess over, you know, a single seat in Congress shifting 
from from Republican and Democrat or vice versa, or or you know the balance in in Congress or the White House or, or the Supreme Court, and yet people don't talk about the Fed and the balance within the Fed. In terms of monetary policy going forward, in terms of markets, and in terms of inflation, in terms of of wealth gap, I mean, I think this is something that we should take into account and, and, you know, move up the timeline on those things, right? Just like, you know, COVID maybe moved up the timeline, you know, the, the, the related economic shutdown, the damage to the currency, QE, lower, lower rates, all that. Um, you know, I think we, we have to take that into account and say that, you know, the timeline of, of you know, a, a high inflationary event on, on the U.S. dollar was moved up and, and, you know, look at where we're at today. Um, I think we have to, to take that into account. That, that, you know, the future of the U.S. and the balance of power in the world of the U.S. dollar as a world reserve currency, you got to move up that timeline on these types of events. You know, some have suggested, like Luke Roman, I think it was on, on Twitter that suggests, you know, maybe this is intentional. Maybe, maybe Jerome Powell leaked his, uh, his, his, uh, statements, um, financial statements in hopes that he wouldn't get, you know, uh, re, uh, reappointed or, or whatever that he get another term as fed chair because he wants off of this sinking ship. I won't blame the guy. Um, so, so I, this has a big bearing, I think on, on the dollar and on the narrative around the dollar and inflation and precious metals. Now I saw a really, really interesting chart yesterday and it was a comparison of the price of silver to, um, five year real rates, um, real yield on, uh, on five-year bonds, U.S. five-year bonds. And, and essentially what it shows is that going back to 2012, there's a decent, pretty decent correlation uh, um, between silver and the rates, or I should say an inverse correlation, um, meaning that as rates go lower, silver goes higher. Now, what's really astounding, and this is what I've been talking about here time and time again in the past couple of months, is that this so much is about narrative. Well, yes, narrative has a huge bearing on markets and on prices. Currently, there is a huge gap between you, uh, between silver, which in this case on this chart, uh, is, is on a logarithmic scale and real rates, uh, on the five year treasury bond. There's a huge gap that has not been filled since, um, you know, since mid 2020, after that big rally in silver, which, which ultimately is halted, you know, shy of $30 an ounce. Um, yields have continued to fall in terms of real rates because inflation has continued to rise. Never mind what's happened with the yields. Inflation is crazy out of control. Currently, um, U.S. real yields on the five year are sitting at re- around negative, um, 1.67%, you know, per this chart. Um, now who knows how high inflation actually is? Probably higher than, than what many have suggested or even the CPI. Um, but, but essentially there's this narrative out there of, of transitory inflation and that eventually this five, four, 6% inflation is going to moderate. Sorry about the airplane overhead. If you hear that, um, it's going to moderate and it's going to, um, come back down to three, 2%. And that's, you know, that's why bond markets can justify, um, such a, a low rate relative to inflation, which in real terms is pretty deeply negative. Right. Again, I saw somebody on Twitter the other day like, but gold doesn't, you know, doesn't have a yield, you know, jokingly basically saying like, look at this. Yields are crazy negative right now. Why isn't gold high or why isn't you know silver higher? I'm thinking uh, because these bonds are 
they got a negative yield. How can that how can that criticism of gold even stand up in that in that situation? Well, there's a huge gap here, which would suggest silver, the price of silver should be um, at least mid 30s right now, according to these rates. And of course, the reason behind that, the number one reason in my mind, is this narrative out there that tapering is going to happen, and uh, and that inflation is going to come back down. And I'm just not buying it. These supply chain problems, these energy problems, um, these shortages, um, in- inflation really across the board for the most part, it just hasn't shown any sign of stopping. And and the longer, I mean, you cannot just keep it at 5% indefinitely for something like the U.S. dollar. It, is, it either has to come down because of a deflationary event, because we know the Fed's not going to with their monetary policy, with interest rates and all that. I don't think they have the ability to do that. Um, they would they would cause a deflationary event, and, and they would achieve their goal because of a, a total market or financial collapse. So either you get a market collapse to bring it down, or else it, it, it keeps going up. They get way behind the curve, and inflation continues to rise. I'll remind you, the Fed is still buying $120 billion a month in securities. Mostly, mostly, uh, mostly bonds, I believe. They've already, you know, they're already double the bottom, um, of, of the last tightening cycle, which ended, I think, in 2020, maybe early 2021. I, probably 2020. I forget the exact time on that because of the repo crisis, probably. Um, and, and they're, uh, you know, by the, pretty soon here, within a couple months, they're going to be, you know, double of the, uh, the peak of the last cycle in terms of, of their Fed balance sheet. They're going to be sitting around nine plus trillion dollars already up just below eight and a half trillion. Um, that's a, that's not a pretty picture. It doesn't paint a pretty picture for inflation. Um, whether we're talking about assets or, or real life inflation for you and I, they're behind the curve. They're steeply behind the curve. And I would expect either bonds are going to ultimately catch up with reality and go up in terms of yield, which, Hey, by the way, has a huge bearing on, on, on the economy and whatnot. This is a huge problem. Or else we're going to see um, inflation continue to rise. Probably both of those things. Inflation will continue to rise. Um, real yields will continue to remain low. And eventually silver and gold are going to fill that gap. As always, I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast. And God bless.